This recording starts a few minutes into the sermon. Way. Uh, the, the, the phrase, the, the word, the Greek word, literally means Satan cut into, cut into our attentions. Uh, the word is used of, 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 a, of a, it's a construction word, of, of cutting an opening in a road or a bridge that renders it impassable. And, and so Satan was working hard to create chasms that made it impossible for, for us to get back to you. Now, Paul was never specific with, with, with what that looked like. He never told us exactly what that was. And so many have speculated. Maybe it was the continued opposition in Thessalonica. We know that threats against his life followed him wherever he went. Maybe it was the demands and challenges of ministry. Uh, we know that Paul would later write 1 Thessalonians from the city of Corinth. We'll look at that in a few moments. And Corinth was a difficult, difficult church environment, filled with problems. Maybe it was his health. But what I want us to, to, to pause and notice for just a moment is that Paul named something we often fail to acknowledge when destructive narratives swirl. And that is, we have an enemy who is active and persistent in his efforts to undermine and hinder us as we seek to follow Christ well. We often talk about the relational dynamics, as we should. But what if there's something operating that is far more lethal and unseen and spiritual in nature that we may not pay attention to? For example, how often does it happen that we pass on something harmful about someone that we're not even thinking all that much about, we're casual, we, we repeat something and we say something that is a little bit harmful to someone and it gets spoken and only to have it spread much wider than we ever expected. We never intended that. We never thought that would happen. We are sharing something we thought was relatively harmless and, and all of a sudden all hell breaks loose and other people are getting hurt. Or how often does God prompt us to reach out to someone to have a needed conversation and just, you know, you just have a sense of God's spirit saying, you know, this relationship's tense. I'd like you to go speak with the person, clear up the misunderstanding. Uh, maybe seek forgiveness for something that we said that was hurtful. And, and this, 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 this good desire begins to surface in us and then everything goes wrong. Our kids get sick and unexpected work demands. Something goes wrong at the house and again, all hell seems to break loose preventing us from doing a good thing. Or we, we hear whispers inside of our head, or perhaps coming from a, a friend or a family member as, as you kind of, God is prompting you to reach out to someone and, and correct something, and these voices begin to, to swirl in our head. This is really not that big of a deal to the Grace family. It's not, don't make more of it than it is. It's not, it's not that big of a deal to the cause of Christ. Or this is not worth the effort it's gonna require of you. I mean, this probably doesn't 
end in one conversation. It may take two, three, or four conversations, and is it really worth it? Or this person really hurts you. Do you really think they're gonna be responsive? Why, why are you doing this? You see, precisely because all hell is breaking loose, aren't we wise to at least acknowledge there may be more going on than we sometimes realize? That Satan may be at work to prevent something redemptive from taking place. That's why it's worth pressing on. The reality of the resistance and the opposition is probably the very thing that's telling you this is good, this is needed. Well, Paul expressed his heart as openly as words would allow in verse 19. He's, he's, he's pursuing, he's pressing, he's, he's, he's trying to communicate with them that the narratives about him are wrong. In verse 19, he says, so what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? And he says, is it not you? See, nothing else mattered to him as much as their relationship and spiritual well-being. And in verse 20, 20, he says, indeed, you are our glory and our joy. And so he begins, so he just, he just, again, just affirming his love for them. Chapter three, verse one, so when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. See, again, Notice what Paul's doing. He's correcting the narrative. I'm going to come back to it in a moment. He's, he's, he's correcting the false narrative that he had abandoned them. He said, I, I love you too deeply so when I could stand it no longer, we, we thought it best to be left alone or left by ourselves in Athens. You see, after he, he left Thessalonica, Paul had a brief, a brief stay in Berea and then he landed in Athens. Um, Athens was its own challenging city, but Paul was so concerned about their safety and well-being, he couldn't stop thinking about them. It never left his mind. You, you might think of it as like a healthy anxiety. <laughs> and like a parent whose kids are traveling and he's not heard from them for days or weeks. He was worried sick about their safety and not knowing was, a, was unbearable. He had to do something. He knew he couldn't return, so he sent his most trusted friend. Verse two, we sent Timothy, who was our brother and coworker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ. Now, a little bit of background here. This was a costly decision to Paul. Paul was right, he was up to his eyeballs in challenges in Athens. He needed Timothy. Timothy, at this time, was likely his most valuable partner in ministry and co-worker. He needed Timothy in Athens. But Paul's love for the friends in Thessalonica was so deep, it was important to send someone he trusted. And he goes on, so I sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. And the trials he's talking about specifically are a combination of the narratives that are swirling and the persecution that's being brought to bear on them. So Timothy would come alongside them to encourage. Timothy would replace Paul. 
and display his love for them. And he would, he would also remind them of things he had taught them. He, he goes on in verse three, for you know quite well that we are destined for this, these trials. Verse four, in fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. Essentially, Paul says, we told you. We told you to anticipate this. Verse five, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, do you, do you, sense, do you sense Paul's heart? When I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. Because I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. Some weeks pass, a lot of discussion about how long, but by the time that Timothy has spent time in Thessalonica and he makes his way back to Paul, Paul has left Athens and is now in Corinth. Uh, if you're interested, you can read that story in Acts chapter 18. Uh, verse six now, Paul, Timothy arrives. Verse six, but Timothy has just now come to us from you. And he's brought good news about your faith and love. And he's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us. That you long to see us. That the narratives were not, not having their desired effect. Just as we also long to see you For those of you who are kind of Bible nerds and kind of Greek nerds, hearing from Timothy was such a big deal to Paul that he compared it to the good news of the gospel. This is the only time in the New Testament, the only time in the New Testament that the Greek word for gospel, good news, euangelion, the only time it's used for something other than the good news about Jesus. It emotionally meant that much to Paul. It just was, it, it, he was relieved, he was rejoicing, he was overwhelmed. He goes on, verse seven, therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, and he's talking about his continued ministry, of course, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. And, and, and the report from them breathed life and hope and into Paul in the face of his continued ministry challenges. The reciprocal relationship, that they were doing well, that they were growing, that the, the narratives were not undermining um, who they were and how they followed Jesus just filled him with life. And then what he says in verse eight, these are, these are kind of those hidden verses that are there that we rarely notice. Look what Paul says. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Isn't that a great phrase? Paul, Paul says, boy, to, to see you standing firm, there is nothing better than that. It's what brings me to life. We really live. And how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. <laughs> see, Paul 
had fought for his friends in Thessalonica. And once he learned they were standing firm, still receptive and still responsive to him in the face of the destructive narratives and in the face of persecution, it prompted Paul to continue their discipleship, to supply what was lacking. That's why he wrote First and Second Thessalonians. See, that, that's the beauty of all of this. All the things that were so disruptive, Timothy comes back and Paul is so inspired, so motivated that he writes First and Second Thessalonians and we have it to this day. And we begin to see this beautiful story being wove. And Paul ends chapter three by expressing his, excuse me, his continued prayer for them. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Paul says, I really want to get to you. I'm hoping the day comes where all the obstacles are removed and we can be with you. Verse 12, and may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. We'll talk a lot more about that next week, just as ours does for you. And may he strengthen your hearts that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all holy ones. It's a great story. It's a great story of people fighting for each other and Paul fighting for them. Now, I want to step out of the story now. And I, I want to now kind of bring us back and talk about our lives and introduce some thoughts to you. Now, in this series, we're talking about how do we live lives that are solid and steady. We're calling them faithful presence. What is it that supports that? What is it that sustains that? That you and I can be solid and steady in, in our spiritual journey. And here's kind of the governing statement. Our lives together in community is an essential part of the curriculum for our spiritual formation into solid and steady people. I want you to linger with that for a moment. You see, our curriculum for maturing as solid and steady people is not only the scriptures, it is that. The curriculum, the essential curriculum for our spiritual formation is our life together, how we live together and what takes place in the context of our lives. The quality of our relationships with one another plays a large role in our spiritual solidness and steadiness. Okay, we, we get that at a certain level. Okay, we get that. But here's what may be counterintuitive to us. Character and maturity are actually formed in the experience of misunderstanding, hurt, disappointment, betrayals, destructive narratives that occur in community with one another. Let me say that again. <laughs> Things like character and maturity are formed in the experience of misunderstanding, hurt, disappointment, betrayal, destructive narratives that just sometimes occur when we're doing life with each other. So all the things we want to avoid. And yet something about those things becomes the very platform for the Spirit of God to shape us. 
So here's, here's the question I've been asking this week. How do we stand firm? We, we've seen the Thessalonians stand firm in the face of all they were facing. How do we stand firm, and what is it that protects the trust that is required for us to grow together in healthy ways? How do we protect and, and see Grace Church become an environment that is so trust-filled that all of us have the opportunity to mature in healthy ways? What does that look like? It requires us to fight for one another in courageous ways in the presence of misunderstanding, hurt, disappointment, and betrayal. I want to introduce you to a helpful skill. Um, I bumped into it a number of years ago. I have found it really helpful, um, not always easy to do, but it's a skill that will help you in your marriages, in your parenting, it will help you with conflict in the workplace, all kinds of relationships. Um, I'm gonna apply it specifically to our lives here in community. And here's the word, differentiation. Now, let me, let me fill this in. Differentiation, it, it's a word that emerged from family systems therapy. And, and as, as therapists and counselors were working to help families learn to grow together in healthy ways. And, and they were confronting the behavior of one of the family members. What they discovered was that you can't just confront the individual behavior, you have to confront the family system. That the system was where the, the behavior exists and, and how does a family flourish together? And and it kind of spread into all kinds of helpful application. And I'm gonna to try to put some uh, simple language to this. I'm, I'm quite sure, it's, I, I'm not gonna say enough, but I think you'll get the idea. When we talk about differentiation, so what I want you to do is I want you to think a moment about a time that someone has said something that's hurt you, um, it's a misunderstanding, a disagreement, a conflict has emerged, uh, just whatever it may be, um, differentiation is the capacity to absorb the hurtful words or actions of others without losing our personhood. In other words, in the midst of, 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 of a very hurtful situation, uh, we don't lose our character, we don't lose our convictions, we don't lose our compassion, we hold on to our sense of self, and, and the hurt doesn't, doesn't deteriorate or diminish a healthy sense of self. And so here's, here's what detachment requires from us. And in some ways, this is the hardest part. It requires us to detach ourselves from the hurtful comments or actions, but not detach ourselves from the person. Let me say that again. Detach ourselves from the hurtful comments or actions, but not from the person. Now, here's what, it's, it goes against all of our instincts. All of our instincts um, is, is to move away from a person. Something is said and is done, we kind of get that we need to detach ourselves from it, but it's counterintuitive to move toward the person. It's not safe. Against all of our instincts, we move toward the person and not away from the person. 
You see, we detach ourselves from the hurtful comments, but we do not detach ourselves from a person. We move toward the person. See, our natural tendency is to absorb hurt in a couple of ways. We absorb hurtful things by defending ourselves. That's not true. What that person said is not true. And we immediately defend ourselves. And it may be the right thing. The hurtful thing may be false. It may not be accurate. But we immediately begin to defend ourselves or we distance ourselves from the person or we we hurt them in some way, often in things we say to others about them and more destructive destructive narratives are set in motion. Here's what I want you to hear about, about, about differentiation. The beauty, the genius of differentiation is that we absorb the hurt by leaning into the relationship. You see, we don't absorb it by distancing ourselves. We lean into the relationship and we have the courage to disrupt destructive narratives about us, about others, because of our desire to protect the closeness and unity of our family. Because we so want this family to be a trust-filled environment that we're not going to allow these things to flourish and circulate. Now, what's it look like to lean in? couple of things. It requires the humility to listen to one another. That's often the biggest hurdle. So often what happens when we find ourselves in conflict or dealing with some of the misunderstandings or hurt, we, we might be all too happy to meet to give the person a piece of our mind. That's not where we start. The more redemptive thing to do is, is just listen. Invite the person to name the hurt or the misunderstanding without defending ourselves. Just listen. Just listening doesn't mean what they have to say is correct. But you're honoring the person. We're we're giving each other the dignity of being heard. And so we, we just listen to one another. And yes, there needs to be the honesty to speak into the situation without anger. See, because you are emotionally stepping back from it, now you're stepping into it, and and some of the emotion begins to quiet. You know, it's, it's often the case that the hurt was birthed, the hurt that you and I experienced with someone, was actually not malicious in intent. Now, there are times it is. But often, the hurts, misunderstandings, things that we navigate as we're doing life are birthed in in people not having context. They don't have correct or complete information. They just don't know enough. And and they've heard something or something's been said and and they've got a little piece of information and and the narrative's based upon what they see and, and if they knew the breadth of the story and, and, and so often meeting together and understanding and simply sharing the full stare story and sharing your heart for the friendship like Paul has just modeled for us. So let me share the story with you. Let me share my heart with you. Simply that step in, in many cases begins to quiet the tension. And it builds trust. Now, of course, 
there are times when an apology and forgiveness being extended is needed and appropriate, and you stay receptive to that. So here's a question some of you may be asking. Why, why would I go through so much effort? Why take the time? It's just so much easier to step away, walk away from the relationship, so much easier to detach myself, so much easier to change churches. Why? Well, Paul told us. For what is our hope? Our joy. Or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes. Is it not you? See, you are our glory. You are our joy. That's why. These relationships matter. Nothing else matters as much as seeing our relationships and spiritual well-being flourish together in community. Nothing else matters as much. Destructive narratives undermine both. Integrity in our relationships is worth fighting for. And it reflects a benchmark of solid, steady, faithful presence. You see, we can often take a phrase like solid and steady presence, and as we so often do with the spiritual life, we reduce it to an individualized thing. That I can be solid and steady if, if, I, if I just have a command of the scriptures, if I'm paying attention to my own character and integrity, and I'm just kind of taking care of my old life and not, not a solid and steady faithful presence will never exist in isolation. It flourishes in community. It's matured in community. It's shaped in community. Remember, community is the very curriculum. And so we need one another. Now, next week, we're going to jump into even a greater sense of, of, of why it's important that we love one another this way. Are you as surprised as I am that a book like 1 Thessalonians is so ridiculously practical? <laughs> See, it's loaded with nuance. When we step away and we, we begin to understand the dynamic of the relationship taking place and we, we kind of take the, the words just off the page from, from assessing them and taking a look at the, the dynamic of what it, when we look at the story, the implications are profound. Let's pray. Father, grateful, as always, for the power of your word, the practicality of your word. Uh, grateful for Paul, kind of blowing up all of our stereotypes about who he is, uh, this, this strong, uncaring person who kind of never looks back and has a lot of just dead bodies behind. That's not Paul at all. He cared deeply for people and the people he was a part of seeing them come to Christ uh, he fought for them with humility and with honesty 
and is sharing his heart. Father, uh, may that be true of Grace Church. May we be people who are prepared to fight for one another and learn this, 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 this skill of di- the differentiation and how we, we, we can absorb the hurt not by running away from it, by running towards people and working through it. And so, Father, thanks. And we long to be a solid, steady people. A faithful presence that people in our community trust. That invites people to consider a relationship with this Jesus.